The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You took a break, you Making the world your lover. Oh, that's what we're here to do, my darlings. That's what we do through my online joy school at lisamacord.com, through my newest book, Free Your Joy, The 12 Keys to Sustainable Happiness. And it's what we're going to do right here, right now together on the Do Joy podcast, where I bring you fascinating guests with powerful insights for elevating your personal vibration. Deep lasting happiness is a skill you can learn, and I'm so honored to be on this journey with you. Hi again, my precious listener loves. I hope you're enjoying the start to this glorious fall season and all the opportunities it offers for joy and love and beauty and taking the cue from our friends the trees to gently, gracefully release all that's no longer serving us. We're doing some beautiful practices for that in my online Joy School groups this season. And also at some live Joy School events, I'll be heading over to the other coast next week to lead an absolutely magical retreat at Cactus Blossom Retreat Center in Southern California. Depending on when you listen to this, there could be a few remaining spots if you're the spontaneous type. Check that out at my website, lisamakecourt.com. Chris Niebauer will be there, the brilliant Deepak Chopra-endorsed author of No Self, No Problem, How Neuropsychology is Catching Up to Buddhism. I love teaching with Chris because all the principles I teach in Joy School that you hear about here on the Do Joy podcast, they all have real scientific underpinnings. And Chris breaks down what science understands today about how our brains work better than anyone I know. Victoria Shaw will be teaching you how to strengthen your intuition. It's just going to be a rich, transformative retreat. If that calls to you, the information is all at lisamacourt.com. And if you're hearing this too late and that retreat is filled up, watch for the next one in Boca Raton, Florida, this coming February, when I'll have Rob Mack as my teaching partner. He is just a divine teacher of love, and there are always some kinds of upcoming events with me and Rob at the events page at my site. 
And for a free taste of that, Rob will be the spotlighted guest in October at Joy School's now free monthly event called Joy School Spotlight, which happens the third Wednesday of each month. This is when I bring in an aligned guest teacher, and after an initial teachy-talky portion of this online event, we open the conversation to the participants and do spot coaching to really help you apply the principles that have been discussed to your own life. That's what Joy School is all about. It's wonderful to learn these ideas and concepts, but the whole point is to then take these really powerful concepts and apply them to your own precious, unique circumstances. So mark your calendars for the third Wednesday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and register at lisamccourt.com for this free monthly event. It is always powerful and amazing. I was so inspired and delighted by my recent spotlighted guests, in fact, that I'm sharing them with you as this month's podcast. I had the absolute over-the-moon pleasure of hosting my cherished goddess friends, Denise Lynn and Meadow Lynn, for this recent event, and I know you'll enjoy this as much as I did. You'll hear the portion of the Spotlight event where I was in conversation with them. You won't hear the group conversation that followed because, as I'm sure you can understand, I just don't record that part. We get some pretty big feels going typically during that time, so I need to keep that a sacred, unrecorded space for my online guests. But here's the conversation with Denise and Meadow. I am so, so happy to be here with these two goddesses. When I asked Denise how she'd like to be introduced, she said, just as your friend, that would feel best. So <laughs> here are my friends, Denise and Meadow. Psych, I'm not letting them get away with that. <laughs> we just determined I love brag, so I want to brag on my brilliant friends. Right? <laughs> Denise Lynn has written 20 books translated into 29 languages. She's appeared several times on The Oprah Show, on BBC TV, NBC, CBS, other top media around the world. She's taught in 25 countries and had a popular talk radio show for 15 years. I'm pretty sure I'm going to brag on her some more as we go along. <laughs> and Madeline co-authored Quest and the Mystic Cookbook, which was listed by PBS Foods as one of the top five cookbooks for the holidays and inspired a keynote address live to 3,000 people streamed worldwide. Meadows articles on savoring life appear in numerous publications. We like savoring life here at Joy School. Meadow leads a wide, array, a wide array of workshops and certification trainings, as well as doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. And she's a sweet little super mama to two angel baby cutie pies, James and Clara, mm -hmm. her official bio. I just put that in. <laughs> also welcome, my beautiful friends. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so good to be here with you both. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and, yeah, it's good to be here too. It's when there are two of us, it's hard to tell who goes first. I know. That is always something that, that gets a little a little uh wonky when we're doing multiple guests, but we'll flow with it. Y'all kind we'll of flow with guests, it. I think. Mm. Denise, I just have to well, first of all, I know that you are a self-proclaimed near recluse. So I really do honor <laughs> how grateful I am that you are spending this time with us. It truly is an honor. And I feel like I want to start by digging in 
you shared with me the subject matter of your new book, which I find so fascinating. So <laughs> I feel like anything that you want to share around this topic, we would love to, to dig in there to get started this, this whole idea about our, our, what did you say? I can't remember now. I was thinking about the gift it. Of, the gift of low self-esteem. The gift of low self-esteem. Yes, that was it. The gift of low self-esteem. Tell us about that. Well, you mentioned that I've written 20 books. And of all the books I've written, this is the one that carries my heart. This, And it probably is the last book I'll ever write because I, I really do not like writing. I'm dyslexic. It's really hard. I... I have ADHD, so the idea of sitting and writing is really hard. So, but this is the book, and I it won't come out till 2025. So it's not my new book; it's the book I'm working on now. But I'm I'm kind of passionate about the things I'm sharing, and my books I've talked a lot about information that's valuable for people in their lives. But this book is a very personal journey, and I. I'm, you know, the provisional title is the gift of low self-esteem and how it can be your superpower or how it is your superpower. Um, I have struggled with self-esteem and self-confidence. I can't even remember when I didn't. I can't ever remember feeling confident um, along my the journey of my life. I had two suicide attempts. I thought, well, I'd I'm so unworthy. I shouldn't even be here. I ended up at the hospital with one of them and just suffered day after day of just thinking. I and there were so many times I just wanted to be dead and I didn't even have the energy. I thought I'm just so exhausted. The, the energy of killing myself was just, it was more than I could handle. So when I talk about low self-esteem, I really know what I'm talking about. I've, I have been there and I try. I thought, well, the way to feel better is to have high self-esteem, and we've we've all kind of have come from a culture that you know it's like you can do it and go for it. You know all those those uh, slogans for but for products that are for sale now. You know, reach for the sky, you can make it. And so I thought, you know what? If I just try hard enough, if I work hard enough, I can have confidence. I can have high self-esteem. But so I went to a jillion self-help workshops. I mean, like every weekend I was going to some kind of self-help workshop. I I can't read very well, but I can skim because of being dyslexic. So I would skim all the books. I would I would have so many therapists, so many trainings, all with the idea of someday I'm going to have high self-esteem. And it never worked. It just didn't work there. I was thinking, oh, you suck. You're a fraud. You're, you're, you know, you're disgusting. You're, you're worthless. Like these mantras over and over again. And I believed that voice. And I don't know when it happened, but somewhere along the line, I thought, you know, the way I'm going, I'm never going to get there. I am never going to get high self-esteem. I'm never going to get confidence. So maybe I need to find out what is great about low self-esteem. So I began to do some research. And what was amazing, there's so much value in low self-esteem. And I started to get really excited, like, hey, this thing that I've been trying to hide, trying to get rid of, trying to suppress my whole life, actually, it's a gift. 
And so this book is about the gift of low self-esteem. And I want to make sure Meadow has time to talk too. But so there, there was a lot I found. I'll just tell you one of the many things I found. And it's this idea of, and you've probably heard it before, the crack is where the light gets in. The crack, it's also where the light gets out too, incidentally. So what does that mean? Have you ever been around someone who is super confident? They know the way it is. They have such absolute certainty in their life. And it must feel good to be that person. But honestly, I I don't feel comfortable around those people. I don't know how you feel, but but it's like there's no vulnerability. There's no openness. There's no cracks where, where we can relate, where we can connect. And also that person is not open to new ideas and new philosophies and new ways of looking at the world because they have certainty. This is the way it is. They have that confident certainty. And when you cracked, and I am cracked, but with that crack, there's a vulnerability. And in the vulnerability, I'm I'm open to new ways of viewing myself. I'm open to new ways of viewing others. It's like someone who has a lot of certainty, it's black and white. This is bad. This is good. This person is this way. This person is that way. I can shift. I can change. And that is a gift. And I love that. So it's not only where the light can come in, but it also means with that crack, my light can radiate out into the world. And because I have gone through such hell in my life, I actually noticed that the low self-esteem has allowed me a sense of compassion that I do not think I'd have otherwise. Because when you have been in the darkest places and you've experienced the hardest things, if you, someone talks to you about they've gone through, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you have a sense of compassion that someone who's never been there would never understand. You know, um, my husband, Meadows' father, David, he had never been depressed in his whole life. And he said, I don't get it. What? Why don't these people just like, what's that, pull, pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Like, why Why don't why'd they just get over it? I said, honey, when you're in there, you, you can't. He goes, well, sure you can except one day he got depressed and he's, it was like one day and he's like, Oh my God, I get it. I said, yeah, you can't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But when you've been there, you understand. So that's just one, there's a whole lot, some very, very interesting research, but please go turn it over to Meadow now. <laughs> we can get we've, back. If you... No, we've got time for Meadow. <laughs> Don't <defect laughs> self-esteem there. I, okay. I love what you're seeing so much because this is why people adore you. You know, you are so widely adored, right? <laughs> it is that authenticity. It's the crack. And those people who look like they're so confident aren't really, they're not really confident. They don't just... They, or they might be, <laughs> yeah. but it's hard to relate to them. Well, let, let me tell you something else is along the research, I mean, there's like so much research that is so validating to my beliefs. Do you know that in our culture, you're supposed to have high expectations, expect the best of yourself? Well, what they found is the happiest people in the world are people who have low expectations. 
They don't think that good things are going to happen to them. They do. And what happens though, is when something good happens, it's like, oh, oh my God, something good happened. They're, they're happier because they didn't expect it. And, and so I'm a big advocate of having lower expectations. So then everything is a gift. I didn't expect that. that that's so counterintuitive to our American culture, isn't it? You know, if you have high expectations, you're you're bound to reach those. And some people do. And that's a good strategy for some people. But other people, they're just always in a state of failure because their life never meets their expectations. So one of the things I advocate in the book is just have lower expectations. And then every day is a gift. <laughs> anyway, um, I can't wait for this book. And I know everybody can't wait to to talk to you about this. I I have had the pleasure of being in your orbit for over a decade, Meadow for probably almost half of that. And I had the recent honor, y'all, of being a guest teacher at one of their events. And you nailed it. You were so freaking good. You are a master teacher. And yeah, Laura, you were there, right? Did you hear her? Oh my God, you are good. You, I mean, I know you're lucky because you're here, but I've been teaching for 50 three years now. And in that time, you know, travel the world, 25 countries. I have had, I've met a lot of teachers and there are only a handful. And I've met really famous teachers in those journeys. There's only a handful that can teach at the caliber that you teach at with the clarity and with the wisdom. I was, I'd never seen you teach before and I was blown out of the water. So I felt lucky to be there. And I feel like anyone who's in your membership site is lucky as well. You are so sweet. Thank you. Kind of just stole what I was going to say. But yes, I was going to say that being a part of that event with y'all. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> no, that was so sweet. Thank you. I, I'm rubbing that in. I'm rubbing that in. Mm. Um, I I just I I was so touched and and just reminded of how beautiful collaboration is when you're in that space that's created with such authenticity and such just depth and, and heart-led teachers who so gracefully exemplify what they're teaching. I just adore the vibe that the, the two of you created in that event and the wisdom that you share. And that's what you're you're speaking to now and you're calling it low self-esteem, which is almost to me like <laughs> turning it all on its head because only a truly embodied teacher with with gorgeous esteem could create that kind of space that, that you create. And and I know that you know that, and we might just be doing semantics here. <laughs> but <laughs> and when you first shared the, that subject with matter with me, I did had no idea. I took it a completely different direction. I thought that you were going like the Vedic direction with Brahman teachings on you know the self that that what we typically <laughs> identify as ourself as an illusory self, <laughs> this persona we create, and so learning to esteem this illusory self less was going to make space for the true self to emerge. <laughs> I got it all wrong. You actually meant that's well, way over my head. Yeah, <laughs> because I would never guess that about you. I would never ever guess that that you are a person with low self esteem, Denise. Lynn. Well, I think what happens is when you start to love your bad self, and I know I forgot his name, but um, yeah, oh, with iPhone, <laughs> um, you were talking about dark and the light. I think part of that, and I still suffer from low self esteem. But I guess one thing is I don't resist it as much. And the other thing is I've become my own fairy godmother. And if, you know, and I love this imagery of 
if we each had a fairy godmother and she just loves us and she lives in this perfect little cabin in the woods and I can just visualize there's this kind of meandering path and she's standing outside the door and she's kind of big. I'm big. So I like the fact that she's big, you know, like versus like, but I don't want a skinny godmother. But anyway, she's big and, and she's like, come on, honey. And I'm there walking. Oh, I'm so miserable. I'm so bad. I'm a fraud. I'm no good. And she goes, oh, come on, honey. Just put all of that here. Just leave it here at the door. Just, I just love you. I just love you so much. You are so wonderful, just the way you are. And as I'm imagining, I'm with a fairy godmother. It's like, yeah, you know, it's okay. You know, so you lied a little bit to these. Okay, let it go. So it doesn't matter. You're human. And no matter what it is, I tell her and try to justify how bad I am and how worthless I am. She's like, yeah, all right then. So having that, and she's, you know, I'm my own fairy godmother. And so having that imagery is really helpful for me. Because when I get really blue, it's like, well, where's my fairy godmother? I need her now. And she just brings me in, sits me down in front of the fire in this big, comfy, cozy chair. And she brings me some tea. And she's just like, tell me all about it, honey. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't she just love to have that? So that's been valuable for me to have my fairy godmother so anyway, that's so nice <laughs> so nice we, we we do this thing in joy school where our vertical self comforts our, our horizontal self where our soul self can be that way but the image of the fairy godmother is just so visual and imaginative and beautiful and yes we can create that voice however it feels or looks best to us we all have the capacity to create that and i know that you create a lot of beauty in your life and, and a lot of meaning and you surround yourself with with nature and and beautiful things and and that <laughs> feels to me like uh, some of that got passed down to your lovely daughter who's all about savoring the day right mm -hmm. and that's that's loving ourselves training ourselves teaching ourselves to savor the day is a, a way to be that very godmother to ourselves and and love on ourselves meadow tell us what that phrase means to you and and all the different ways that you apply it to all those things that you you sprinkle that phrase on out in the world i like your culinary term of sprinkling it <laughs> <laughs> I love using the term savor the day because it feels relaxing. It doesn't feel overwhelming like you have to do this big thing to make radical shifts in your life. And it doesn't mean major shifts and transformations won't happen or you don't end up doing something big, but it feels manageable. It's I like that expression, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Oh, I don't want to eat an <laughs> elephant. <laughs> But I think you need to change that. <laughs> but it's a traditional expression. But um, but no, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but savoring is bite-sized pieces. So, and I mean, there's a bit of a pun there, but it's true as well that these little tiny moments in your life, whether it is food or a moment in your life, when you take time to savor it. It's also called mindfulness, but I like savoring because it feels more luscious and delicious and fun. And as you notice the beautiful hues of a sunset or how a little weed can push its way up through your driveway. And on one hand, it's like, damn that weed, get it out of there. 
On the other hand, just those few seconds of noticing the strength and power of a weed to get up through a crack where there is no nutrients, no soil, no water, and those tiny moments or noticing the swirls of steam that come off of your coffee in the morning or your tea. And it doesn't take time. Many of us feel like we are always, I mean, maybe just me, but uh, I have two young kids. I'm racing constantly. And that's how a lot of the day goes for many of us. But when we can take just a few seconds, to notice something, to savor it. It doesn't have to take away from anything else in our life, but it can add a lot and it puts us more in the moment. And I was a school teacher for a number of years and I have a master's degree in French cultural studies and I taught French. Um, I've actually taught it from third grade all the way to 12th grade. But um, <laughs> while I was teaching 11th grade, I was teaching The Little Prince. <laughs> There's a fabulous chapter in The Little Prince where, the in, for those who aren't familiar with The Little Prince, um, this uh, the narrator goes from planet to planet and meets different characters who pass on their type of wisdom. And on that it's not all exactly all wisdom as it is, but discover, but this one planet, this man is trying to sell him this pill that he can take and he can save, I think it's 34 minutes a day by not having to drink water. He takes the pill and then he doesn't have to drink water anymore. He says, oh my, what are you going to do with all this extra time that you save? You have 34 more minutes in your day. What are you going to do? And the little prince says, I would spend that time leisurely walking to a fountain. That some of the things that we think, you know, are time saving, that when we actually can slow down and savor those moments, it adds depth and joy to our lives. So that's why I love the expression of savoring. And it can be, you know, physical savoring, the food you put in your mouth, but also it can be those brief moments. And, um, one more quote. Um, this one I've loved since high school. And actually, I think a friend of mine wrote it when I was in high school. I'm sure high school. I had an unusual group of friends. Um, like we used to gift each other handwritten books of poetry and sayings, our favorite expressions and quotations. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a friend <laughs> very cool friends <laughs> and but the, this one quote from this one friend has stuck with me all these years and it was from a man named Stuart Dybeck and I don't remember the exact wording on it but the overall kind of theme of it was that looking at the constellations and each of the stars is a moment in our lives these big moments that we all are striving towards and planning for whether it's a marriage a birth a death, a graduation, a job promotion, these big events that kind of mark our lives. But in this quote, they say that actually, you know, what if our lives really are the lines that we draw between the stars that sure. create the constellations, that create these pictures in the sky? And that, you know, our life is punctuated by these big moments, but really what we do every single day and is our life. And when you take those moments to savor, you can open the door to even more joy because you are slowing down and recognizing those, those moments where, you know, I have 
30, maybe 30,000 photos of my kids on my phone. <laughs> so many. And I take them every day. But even now, when when I go back through, or if for those of you who have an iPhone, maybe you know the feature where your phone makes videos for you of the photos. And it's so amazing to me to see these photos pop back up from just a couple of years ago when my four-year-old was a baby. And I've already forgotten those moments. And some of the ones at the time, you know, where his face is covered with food or he's naked at the time, I was like, put on clothes, clean up your face. But those are actually my favorite pictures because they are so real and authentic. And that was what life was really like. Or the picture where the every surface of the floor is covered in toys. And at the time, like, oh, let me try to angle it so you can't see all the dirty laundry that hasn't been dealt with or whatever it is. But those actually that is the lines between the stars that create the constellations of our lives. And that's why I love savoring is it, it makes us recognize those daily moments that, um, that really is our life. And, you know, okay, nerd literature again. So <laughs> as I was teaching French too, another book that I loved is Waiting for Godot, which is a French existential um, play written after the, the world war when a lot of people were questioning their existence and God and for any other French literature nerd, maybe you know, <laughs> story, but nothing happens. The first act and the second act are exactly the same with a few changes. And if you see the, the play performed, I mean, my mom wanted to leave. It's really boring, but it's, it's really, I used to love teaching it <laughs> because these two characters, they wait by the side of the road. And I'm sorry, I spoiled, I will spoil the end. Um, for Godot to come. And they wait and they wait, they talk and they talk, and Godot never comes. And then act number two, they wait and they wait, they talk and they talk. When is Godot going to come? When is he going to come? And people can read into Godot, whatever that is, whether it is meaning or God or something, anything, some event, and he never comes. But it also goes along with those constellations and those lines that we draw between the stars, they were spending all of their time waiting for this thing to happen that never happened. And many of us pass our lives waiting for those big moments, the stars. But when you take a step back and you savor the dirty laundry, we don't have to savor your dirty laundry, but, <laughs> but, but those authentic moments, those sweet, sweet moments that you would have missed otherwise or forgotten about if you didn't have 30,000 photos on your phone. <laughs> um, that is what really creates our lives. So when we choose, actively choose to absorb and soak in those daily moments and recognize them and have gratitude for them, that is what can really enrich our lives. So that's why I love the expression, savor the day. So beautiful. I love the image of the stars and the line between the stars. And you do in those photographs that you take, you do, you capture these moments that, that don't look like necessarily camera moments, but you see it, you see that moment in it. And I love your photos. They're absolutely stunning. And those are ones I'm sharing. I'm sure <laughs> But every time I see that that phrase, that savor the day, it's just the the perfect reminder. I'm you know in the joy biz 
people don't think that they deserve joy. They don't think that they, you know, they, they need to be productive and doing something and solving problems. And, and really it's always available. The joy is always available. If they'll just slow down and remember, it's, it's a matter of, of savoring. And we all have access. We all have this body with senses, right? I was teaching in a, a group the other day and I was saying like, you know, for a self pronounced spiritual chick. I love the pleasures of the flesh, but I had to learn to give myself that, to, to be okay with like appreciating decadence and things that taste good and feel good and squishy, yummy. You know, I, I always say, I feel like part of our responsibility as a soul with a body is to fully appreciate this earth vessel that we've opted to inhabit for however many years we're on this crazy earth plane, right? We want to delight in the vessel. It's an amazing vessel with all kinds of capacity for experiencing all this super cool stuff. You don't want your soul to look back one day and say, wow, I really didn't utilize that body vessel and all the joyful ways it was capable of experiencing stuff. You want your soul to look back and say, yeah, I wrung every bit of joy out of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Save for the day says to me, is it just like the joy is there for the taking, the moments are there for, you know, feasting whatever senses we want to work with. And um, you're such a, a beautiful reminder in the world of that. And I know you're reminding so many people and thank you for, for being that meadow. And I've found too, that being the mom of young children, my kids are four and a half and newly two, that also has taught me to savor in new ways. And I think many of us as parents or business owners or employees or you know whatever area we're working in our life, it's easy to want to do, do, do and schedule, schedule, schedule and have activities and opportunities in order to find that joy. And I have found with my kids and it's helped also, you know, the parenting stuff that I read online and the Facebook groups I've been parenting too is there's actually more enrichment in slowing down and not you know and this summer I took my kids to Disneyland and we went to Seattle and we did a few other things and then you know I asked my four and a half year old what his highlight was of the summer and it was taking a, one of my friends through our garden and spending time with another one of my friends the, and I was like what about Disneyland you know <laughs> what about our trip and and we often feel like we have to fill every moment, every void, every crack with something. And actually that's slowing down. And, you know, I, I just hear the hose running outside right now. And we have a part of our yard that we call the mud hole and we just flood it with the hose. And I strip my kids down and let them play in the mud. And I actually think they probably gain more from savoring that sloshy mud and spraying each other with water than these classes that, you know, I might want to sign them up for or, or taking them to the zoo or a carnival or amusement park or Disneyland that sometimes, and that can be true for us too, when we actually slow down, we can invite even more joy in the simplicity. Hallelujah, sister. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's at the heart of most spiritual traditions, right? That it, it goes with the mindfulness, the, the getting quiet, the, the peaceful, you know, looking inward. We can't do that when we're go, go, go. And, and our society doesn't really put a lot of, uh, give us a lot of reason to do that or, or a lot of kudos for doing that. We get our kudos for being out there, being busy and productive. So it's important to remind people of that. Thank you. I've got a quick question for you, Lisa. 
So you teach, you have a joy school, you teach joy. What is the thing that gives you the greatest joy when you feel like really high? Like, because you've explored it, you've studied it, you've experienced it. I would love to know. This isn't an idle question. I mean, I would really love to know. That's so sweet. I mean, for me, it's a no brainer. And I think this is probably true for a lot of people, but it's, it's relationships. It's my husband and my daughters and just the, the random moments of laughter, the, the, the little moments, the sloshing in the mud, not that I've done that in a long time, but I really got on the bucket list. Now those, those just moments with, with people that you're just a hundred percent yourself with, and just the love is so, so big and just so there. That's, that's just it for me. I mean, my spiritual practice gives me a lot of joy and a lot of peace, but nothing compares to relationships. Mm, thank you. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. What about you? The reason I asked is because I was, a, a jillion years ago, it used to be dancing. I would I would disappear when I danced and that gave me the greatest joy. And I, you know, I haven't danced in so long. And so I don't know. I mean, I love shopping. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So that's why I was curious. And I'm kind of a recluse. So I have a, a Zoom relationship with with Meadow. I get to see her rarely, but I but we we talk every day, which is great, and that does give me joy. But like that ecstatic kind of joy that you get that ecstatic kind of joy from your relationships. Is that right? I do, and I and I think a lot of that is just what I've learned from guides like Meadow to, to savor them. Like it's, it's about really pausing and mm. when you're in those moments, especially I'm an empty nester. Now my husband and I are here, both of my daughters have flown, flown the nest. So when we're together, it's just every second is just so oh. much fun and we just laugh and they're silly. And I'm just so, I get so much happiness out of their happiness. And oh, I love that. My precious sweet husband. We just, you know, wake up every morning and, and just say how grateful we are. It's and that comes from contrast, to, to be honest. We're we're wedding uh marriage number three for both of us. So I think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, yeah, when you get it right, you got it right. <laughs> and and there really is something to be said for having spent long chunks of both of our lives in marriages where we felt so alone and, and disconnected. And then it's just when you do finally have that that connection and, and that partnership, it's that much more meaningful to you. It's it's like it's not just a, a crock, this whole thing about how we need contrast to to make the yeah. good things that much better. It really is to me true because it helps you to savor, savor mm. when you are in those uh those just beautiful, blissful moments. Oh, I love that. I mean, I love my husband. We've been married almost 50 years, but it I wouldn't say it's joy, it's comfort, it's it's contentment. We don't talk to each other a lot because we're both recluses, but you know, we'll sit quietly together. But it's not like when I think of joy, I think of ah, like that, you know, like ah, like 
like peak moments. So just just one of those curious questions. <laughs> no, but that's a good point because we all have different definitions for joy and our definitions can change at different times in our lives. Mm. We've been in a really long, boring stretch, then joy might mean excitement and something vibrant and something that's going to like really light us up. And if we've been in a really stressful, high energy phase, then joy might be just like, ah, oh, being able to uh. and relax all day. And, you know, so we do have different, I think, interpretations of joy at different mm. periods. It's inter- Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for interviewing me in my interview. <laughs> no, it's just, I think when something pops into my head, I think there's, I, I tend to think there's a reason. And so I usually just kind of go with wherever it's taking me. So mm-hmm. that's, that's what came up. It's a beautiful thing about you. And I, you were saying that, you know, a lot of spiritual teachers, I probably do not know as many as you lady, but I know a lot of spiritual teachers as well. And I don't know anyone with as vast and diverse and fascinating a repertoire of experience as, as yours, Denise, you just, you hold the wisdom, not only of your own Cherokee ancestors, but you studied with Aborigines in the Australian bush, the Zulus trained with Kahuna shamans, Hawaiian Reiki masters, adopted into a New New Zealand (laughs) Maori tribe, right? Am I saying that right? Lived in a Zen Buddhist monastery for two years. I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but one of the things I wanted to ask you is it's always seemed to me that once you get underneath the specifics and the surface expression of any of these spiritual traditions, that there's much more in common than different. And I'm wondering if that's been your takeaway. Absolutely. Let me tell you some of the things that I found, and I was fortunate enough to spend time in Native cultures around the world, and also in understanding of my own Native background as well. One of the things that I found in common in various cultures, literally around the world, was this idea that we are a part of all things. And it sounds like, oh yeah, we're a part of all things, but it's in the, in a Native tradition, It's not just a mental understanding. It's an experience where we are not limited by this body, this identity, this point in time that when, when, you know, a shaman or a medicine man, a medicine woman, a Sangoma in Africa, they say the mountains dwell within you. The sun rises in your heart. The, The rivers flow through your veins. They, it's an experience and what happens is when you begin to enter into that, and it's not just an experience, it's a dimension. And it's, you begin to feel and sense that you are the earth, you are the stars. And when you expand your identity, the problems that you kind of mull on that are associated with this identity, they begin to diminish. It's not that they're not there. It's just to become bigger. If you imagine a uh, a barrel in the and you throw a firecracker into the barrel, the barrel's going to fall apart. But if you expand your awareness to the football field and that firecracker goes off, yeah, big deal. It's a firecracker. It's not going to diminish you. And so when you begin to even entertain the idea that I am the air, I am the clouds, and to feel yourself dissolving into the clouds. It's not just a wonderful experience, it's actually beneficial to your life because the more expanded your parameters of self are, the more expanded your experience of life is and the more choices you have because you're no longer limited to this um, 
trajectory and your your destiny can begin to expand. We all have a almost like a predestined destiny. But when you expand, you are more at choice in your life. So I don't know if any of this made any sense, but I found it interesting that everywhere it's like, well, we're not separate from this. It's it is who we are. It is it is a part of our self, our being. So that was one of many things I found in common. It is so beautiful as a common thread. And I, I could feel it as you described it. It's we we become greater than that which debilitates. We just become the expansiveness that that can hold it all. That can hold it all. Yeah. It reminds me of the the Sanskrit word Leela. My friend David Alt was just talking about this, how every bit of everything we've encountered and experienced and felt pulled toward, it's all so much more interconnected and divinely orchestrated mm. than we've ever ever thought there's really no randomness to any of it according to at least that that principle of of Leela wow do you feel like you've had such a rich life because you're good at allowing yourself to to just be guided and to joyfully be surrendered in that dance that soul dance that's well it's not always surrendered sometimes I'm dragged into it but um <laughs> but I have had a rich life and one of the things that another thing I found in common with native cultures around the world and the reason why I think it's important what they believe in native cultures is because that wisdom has grown out of thousands of years in native cultures, especially where they are living. Like when I was with us Aborigines, I was with Aborigines that hadn't even seen a white person until they were in their forties. They lived exactly the same as their ancestors 2000 years ago. They had, they didn't even have the wheel. They didn't have any development of tools, but then there's this rich spiritual life and that comes from the reason why they'll have those traditions is because they worked. So one of the traditions that's ubiquitous is this idea of signs, watching the signs. It's as if the universe is always whispering to you. And when you watch the signs, and even some of the signs are the same in different cultures, and sometimes they vary. But what doesn't vary is this idea that in every moment, the universe is whispering to you. And if you listen, you'll be at the right place at the right time. And that if you look at your life in terms of it, it's malleable and changeable and, and these whispers are coming in different forms and there's a reason for what you're experiencing, life just is that much richer. And you'll more often be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, so that's been a, a practice for you. That, that I know you you share that practice with others, but any, any special little pointers or tips for getting better at hearing those whispers? Yeah. You just, first of all, uh, there's a, I mean, I wrote a whole book on it, but <clears throat> called Secret Language of Science. But but basically you don't need to get the book or you can get it used on Amazon for a couple bucks. But um, basically you can put out the call. You can just say, hey, universe, great hoopa in the sky. I need a sign. I don't know whether to go this way or this way. I keep moving because that light keeps, I wonder if I went, maybe I can go on this side of the light. Oh yeah. <laughs> moving out of the light instead of into the light. There we go. Um, so you can just put it, you can say, I just need a sign and just look at what shows up. Or you can call for a specific sign. If I am meant to move to Pennsylvania, I will see a butterfly today. I mean, you can actually put out a sign. The other thing you can do is you can choose what signs mean to you. Now, there, 
I've written dream books, but if you look at dream books, like there's so many of them, they usually have a dream dictionary. So one of the things you can do, and the signs that appear in our dreams are no less powerful than the dream, dream the signs in, in physical day daytime reality. But you can also just open up one of those dream dictionaries, run your finger over it, say, I'm downloading. These are all my meanings. And th the meanings don't agree with each other. So you can just choose the meanings. But let's say fire truck. Oh, and if something appears three times for you that's unusual, that's usually a sign. Listen to it. You know, if all of a sudden um, uh, someone talks, let me just make some of them. Someone talks about... Uh, a small island off the Pacific Northwest, let's say Orcas Island. And then a little bit later, you hear someone else talking about Orcas Island. And then next day, someone's talking about Orcas Island. Okay, three three times you heard that. There's something in there. So you just close your eyes. If I knew what Orcas Island meant to me, what could it mean? You look it up, you research it. So with these dictionaries, run your finger, these are my meanings. And then you hear, you know, Orcas, Orcas Island, Orcas is a whale. You look up whale. Aha, this is my meaning. So you can just choose meanings if it, and you just choose the dream dictionary that you really like, that you that you agree with, because I have not seen any two dream dictionaries are, that are the same. So the other thing you can do is just close your eyes, especially if it comes up three times. And oh, it's a sign if it's unusual. Like if you see deer every day, a deer with fawn, that's not a sign, but you never see a deer anytime, anywhere, and all of a sudden, one is just right there in the middle of the road, that's a sign, or most likely, because it's unusual. So then you can close your eyes and just pretend you're talking to the deer spirit or to the island or to whatever it is that that sign is. If I knew what you meant, what would it be? And just imagine it's talking back to you. So there's a lot to be said about signs, but honestly, when you listen to the signs, watch for the signs, put out the call for a sign, it can be so helpful for your life. You'll know, you know what? Everything sounds good about this contract, but maybe you were driving to sign the contract and you turn on the radio and she's singing, stop in the name of love. And you keep hearing stop. And then all of a sudden they put up a new stop sign that was never there. I was like, wow, it's a new stop sign. And then the next block, this construction worker is yelling across the street and he's yelling stop. So three stops. And it was like, you know what? I don't think I'm meant to sign this contract today. So that, and turns out later, maybe you find out, wow, it's so good. I didn't sign that contract. So that's how signs can help you. Every native and ancient culture look to the signs for the simple reason that it works. I didn't realize that was something that everybody talked about. The, those are the ones that, that catch my attention. When you when you look back historically, thousands and thousands of years of, of ancient wisdom, when it all meshes, you know there's something to that. There's something to that, yeah. That's amazing. This is this is for either of you to answer if you feel compelled. There was like a guest teaching in a friend's online community last night. And one of the participants said that she struggles a lot with how we humans are destroying the planet and the inequities around the globe and the suffering. And she was expressing genuine struggle with how to cope with that on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think it comes down to, to this matter of, of what you were just addressing previously, Denise, about becoming the, the expansive container that can hold it all and, and maybe just having to trust in the perfection of it all, even when that's a painful stretch for us, right? We we love the the 
signs and the flow and everything's working out. But when things are collapsing and falling apart, we feel like that that can't be a necessary part of the expansion of, of whatever we're all doing here collectively, globally, our humanity. Our humany parts hate it, right? But is, is there... Is there a perspective that either of you could share on that? Maybe both of us. Meadow, what would you say? Why don't you go first and then I will. Okay. I have a lot to say about this. All right. First of all, um, the 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 world, things are falling apart right now. And the world, there's always been problems in the world. There's always been plagues. There's always been wars. There's always been famines. And the the reason why it's so challenging now is because of local media. And when you listen to the news, I mean, when, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember, I don't know what year it was, but there was a huge um, tsunami and a lot of people were, were killed in Bali and Indonesia. And I knew people that, I mean, from, they were weeping and crying and they were, and, and they couldn't sleep and they were so upset. And they would call me up and I can't, I can't sleep. I'm so upset. Now I had a friend who was married to a Thai wife and he was not far from where the tsunami. And I got a hold of him and I said, how are you doing? He goes, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, all the people that died in the, in the tsunami, he goes, you know, in our little village, we're fine. We, you know, we're just living life as usual. He hadn't even heard of it. And for him, and he's right there. He was having a lot of joy in his life. You know, they were fairly newly married. They, they didn't even know about it. And here halfway around the world, people can't sleep. Now, what happens when you have a collective unconsciousness of people being so upset that that actually creates a self-fulfilling prophecy? It creates an energy. And it doesn't mean that things, I mean, sometimes I think, oh my God, because I watch the news. I'm a big CNN, you know, on BBC. I watch the news. Oh my God, the world is falling apart. But, you know, if I wasn't watching the news, I wouldn't know that. And I, I personally believe that our joy impacts the world more than our angst. If my angst could change things, if I could make a difference, and I do believe in contributing where you can make a difference, you know, volunteer, you know, when, you know, I, I donate to food organizations when Russia invaded Ukraine, you know, donate where you can help where you can make a difference to your neighbors. And if you do it out of, at least balance rather than fear, because fear is such a projecting energy. And when you get a collective of people being so fearful, that actually creates, from my perspective, looking at the way energy works, it actually creates what you're afraid of. So it's a it's hard because it's hard when you look on the news and like the world is dying, you know, the, and it is. But to I, I personally believe my joy will have a more powerful impact on the world than my angst. So that's what I would say. Hello. Sure. I don't really have a lot to add to that. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed in my own life, having grown up going to you know college and university and graduate school, and there was a lot of emphasis on being really politically engaged and actively aware of the what was going on. And I feel it's really important to be informed. But I also know in my own life, the last few years, I haven't had the bandwidth with as a solo mom to two young kids. I don't have a lot of time or energy 
to be engaged. And, um, you know, I used to listen to the radio in the car and then that kind of stopped when it was either listen to the radio and hear the screaming of the kid who didn't want to listen to the radio or <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> but I have found as a result, actually, I think I have more peace not being as constantly aware. I used to have a long commute and I listened to the radio, news radio the whole time, NPR. And sometimes I hear the same stories three times because it was 45 minutes drive each way. So I was in the car for an hour and a half. So I really knew what was going on. But I would constantly kind of carry that with me as well. So I um, I kind of believe in both, you know, that it's important to be informed. And at the same time, I am less informed now. And perhaps I live in a little bit more state of bliss. And um, I also think that when like the, the participant you mentioned, you feel really overwhelmed by it. I think one of the the most helpful things is taking some form of action, doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting there just feeling overwhelmed, but it actually doesn't help anybody. And it doesn't help you either because instead you're feeling inactive or impotent or out of control that these things are all happening to our world, to you. But when you take any form of action, as my mom mentioned, you know, whether it's donating or boots on the ground, doing something or I've learned a lot. My son is obsessed with garbage trucks. And then that obsession turned into interest in composting, recycling. And I mean, I have things in the garage that he won't let me throw away because they have metal parts and metal shouldn't go in the garbage or in the landfill. It needs to <laughs> go to a special recycling facilities. So they're just waiting for some day for me to take them to somewhere where they need to go. <laughs> but as a result, we've watched a number of YouTube videos about these amazing things that people are doing in the world with recycling or making flip-flops out of avocado pits or, or algae. Maybe it's algae for the flip-flops, <laughs> avocado pits or for something else. But it's inspiring all of these things that people are. Oh, there's another one where they take chopsticks from all the restaurants in China, I think it is. And then they compress them together and turn them into wooden bricks made out of bamboo chopsticks and then make <laughs> furniture out of them. And it's inspiring these people who felt this angst and this challenge of all of the thing, you know, the things that are filling mm -hmm. our landfill and actually doing something positive with it that is way out of the ordinary of what we would actually think. So I think that is um, one of the things that really helps it's then you are actively engaged rather than allowing something to happen to you. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so many things I would love to talk about. I want to make sure that the people have a chance to talk with you. And Denise, you had also graciously mentioned that you, you might uh, do a, a brief meditation. I'm going to let you two decide because I think that that both of those sound equally like treats for everyone here how brief would a brief meditation be would there still be some time for for general discussion how about we do a two-minute meditation oh my gosh then for perfect sure. <clears throat> because I, I believe that it does not need to take time to get results I oh. believe intention can create results so as your intention is that no matter what occurs for you in the next couple of minutes, might be two and a half, maybe three, but whatever happens in the next couple of minutes can make a difference in your life. So it can be. 
So if you are willing to just take a very deep breath and exhale. And continue just watching and being aware of your breath. Meadow talked about slowing down. About savoring the moment. With each breath, bring your awareness to this moment. Here. Now, with each breath, you find your body relaxing, your shoulders dropping, your breath deepening. All you need is here now. As you continue to relax, you find that you are in a small boat and it's drifting on a beautiful, beautiful golden river. Visualize this, sense this. It's autumn. The trees on either side are beautiful colors of yellow, gold, red, and orange. Some of the leaves are floating along with you. You're just allowing your boat to drift and float. It's a wonderful, warm afternoon. You can feel the warmth of the sun on your face, on your shoulders, no matter what you are consciously aware of, right now, beneath conscious awareness, there is a flow occurring. More and more, you are entering into the flow of your life. More and more, you're open to hear the voice of spirit. More and more, you are open to sense and feel and know what the universe is whispering to you, the signs. More and more, you know that you are not limited to a point in time, to a body, to an age. More and more, you know that you are infinite, immortal eternal and universal. And this awareness expands within you. This awareness sustains you. Travel now, one year into the future. It is now September 2024. Time is malleable. Hold a vision of how you feel. Make it as real as you can. Perhaps it's a feeling of, of joy, 
courage, kindness, respect, responsibility, love, strength. Find the feeling and anchor that feeling There is now a line of energy, an energy strand between you and that point in time and space, and that feeling that you have anchored into the future. With each and every day, you move forward toward that time, toward that feeling, toward that anchor. And so it grows within you. So be it, and so it is. So be it, and so it is. And you can slowly and gently bring yourself back. Good. That was beautiful. And I know that what we co-created together was not just a visualization. I do know that you actually have planted that feeling as a seed next year, in one year's time. And I do know that there is now a strand between you and that that will continue to grow and strengthen until you meet this day in one year's time. Feel that. It's fantastic. So sometimes, well, we like to give home play for anyone who's interested in, in a home play assignment. Just go back to that. Just go revisit that exact that that scenario that was just created for you. Just go back as you're drifting off to sleep at night. Just just be in that energy. That that's home play for anyone who chooses to accept it. Mm, love that. I am going. Yeah. Turn off the, is there anything, um, you know, any, any parting words of wisdom, Meadow or Denise, before I turn off the recording for, for those who will hear the recording later? My sense is that even someone who does this meditation later, the effect will be the same as, as if they were actually here with us, because your group is connected. Their cosmic shoelaces are tied together. <laughs> I love that image beautiful deepest gratitude and love to you my beautiful listener tribe with representation in 30 countries all across the globe i'm so honored to spend this time with you if you're wondering about my online events my books joining my joy school community all of that is waiting for you at lisamccourt.com i look forward to connecting with you there much love
Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.